Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. We're excited. Uh, We are in the Christmas season already. Can you believe it? And uh, uh, we always try to focus on the birth of Christ, obviously. And boy, as a pastor, the two most stressful times of the year to come up with sermon material teaching material, Easter and Christmas, because there's only so many ways you can tell the story, right? And after you've been doing this for, in our case, 34 years, um, there's, you know, I'm always looking for a different way to look at it that that would be fresh and with fresh eyes. And so we've started a a, a series called Open, and you might remember the, the story of the birth of Christ where Mary and Joseph were trying to find a place uh, to sleep and nothing was open and there was a there was a little stable that was open and uh, and so we are going to be talking about just having a place in our heart open to the king and whatever he wants to do and speak to us and, and challenge us with and today I want to talk about being open-hearted and that just being open-hearted to hearing the voice of God and where God will lead you and take you and we're going to be focusing on Joseph uh, today especially um, because I think that Joseph really um, is very underappreciated in this story. He barely makes it into any pictures. It's just Mary and, and, and Jesus, right? And and even when you look at a nativity scene, you've got the kings and the angels and the shepherds and the cattle. And, and you might have Joseph. You might not have Joseph in that scene. Um, it's interesting when you study the Gospels, Matthew uh, really lays out the whole birth of Christ from Matt, from Joseph's perspective. Luke, being the physician, lays out the whole story from Mary's perspective. So that's just free. I'm not going to charge you for that today. But yeah, as you're reading that, understand that, that it's from two different perspectives. And I think that's really cool. So we're going to pick it up today, Matthew 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 18. And we're going to just read the story of when Joseph and Mary... When they just find out what's going on, and especially in this story, Joseph finds out what's going on and and how his life will be radically changed forever. So verse 18 says, this was how Jesus, God's anointed one, was born. His mother Mary had promised Joseph to be his wife, but while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Her fiancé, Joseph, was a righteous man full of integrity, and he didn't want to disgrace her. But when he learned of her pregnancy, he secretly planned to break the engagement. And while he was still debating with himself about what to do, he fell asleep and had a supernatural dream. An angel from the Lord appeared to him in clear light and said, Joseph, descendant of David, don't hesitate to make Mary to take Mary into your home as your wife, because the power of the Holy Spirit has conceived a child in her womb. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Savior, for he is destined to give his life to save his people from their sins. This happened so that what the Lord spoke through his prophet would come true. Listen, a virgin will be pregnant, and she'll give birth to a son, and he will be known as Emmanuel which means in Hebrew, God became one of us or God with us. When Joseph awoke from his dream, he did, everyone say he did. 
he did all that the angel of the Lord instructed him to do. He took Mary to be his wife, but they refrained from having sex until she gave birth to her son, whom they named Jesus. Man, what a, what a story for Joseph. I mean, this is crazy. Can you imagine being in Joseph's shoes and the doubts that you would have and the thoughts that you would have and just everything that would be going through your mind? I think in order to understand this whole thing, I kind of want to lay a groundwork and paint a picture for you. We tend to read the Bible and we tend to look at it through the eyes of 21st century Americans. And it doesn't always make a lot of sense. And we try to, try to, we try to make it uh, into something so that we, we can get our minds around it. But I want to I wanna just kind of let you know what it was like in that day for the typical Jewish couple. So um, in tradition, keeping with tradition, this is going to blow some of you away. Mary would have been about 12 to 14 years old. That was very common. In fact, 14 years old was on, the, was on the older end. Girls were engaged to be married beginning at 12, and usually 12 to 13 is when they would become wives. Isn't that mind-blowing for us in our culture? Some of you that have teenage girls are like, no way, no way. I'm glad I live here today. It's believed that Joseph was uh, older than Mary and may, maybe considerably older, and we, and we would think that maybe because um, there's no record of Joseph after Jesus is 12 years old. So we think that he probably died. And um, if he was older, that, that might make sense. We don't know for sure. It's just speculation. But it's something to think about. We do know that the marriage would have been a prearranged marriage in, in, in keeping with tradition. And um, they probably, their families knew each other. It's possible that Joseph and Mary knew of each other growing up, but it was uh, definitely a prearranged marriage. And the marriage process in that particular day, and it hasn't changed a lot with the Jewish family, but in that day, it was kind of a three-step process. The first step is, is the contractual stage, or the, in, in, uh, in Hebrew, it's the ketubah. And which, what that means is that um, both parties would get together uh, and they would work out the details of the dowry. Everyone know what a dowry was, right? And so they would work out those details of the dowry. They would sign the contracts, and they were legally a thing at that point. But that wasn't the beginning. That wasn't the end of the process. In America, in our culture, we sign the marriage license at the end of the ceremony, and you're, but in, in this case, it's at the very front end. Every, all parties understood what was about to take place, and they were legally bound to each other at the very beginning. Then they would go into this stage called the betrothal stage or the engagement stage, which you and I would uh, recognize, and that would last about a year. And it was during that one-year period that they would actually start to spend time with each other and get to know one another. How, how many think that's strange? We're used to a certain... We, 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 take, our, we take a date out for dinner. We go, we go do things to get to know them before we pop the question. In the Jewish culture, uh, the, the, it's already a done deal, and then you get to know your future spouse. How many think that'd be just difficult for you, right? <laughs> but the divorce rate is very low in those cultures, so there you go. Um, then... Uh, you would have the actual marriage. And the, and the marriage event, the marriage ceremony, was crazy. It was a seven-day event. 
It was a huge feast and a huge party, and everything was amazing. And they would have this, this room, uh, and everyone would be there. And at the end of that seven days, the couple that were, were getting married would, would go off into that room with everyone applauding, and they would consummate their marriage. How many think that would be awkward? I, I love to tell the story um, when, when Scott and Faith got married. Uh, they were both 20 years old. Now, you say out here, that's very young to get married. But in the Midwest, that's, you're already over the hump. You're already, you're already going down the backside of life at 20. But they got married at 20. And what was so great, what was so great was um, after the actual uh, reception, uh, we had to take them to their honeymoon suite at the hotel because they weren't old enough to check in. It's 21 years old. And, of course... We're going to just capitalize on that awkwardness all that we can. So we walk into the lobby and face in her wedding dress, Scott's in his tux, and we have to, mom and dad have to go up and sign him in at the counter, and Pastor Scott is dying a thousand deaths, and I'm loving it. And, and so we sign him in, and then we go up to the room with them uh, because we, we were uh, collecting his tux and her dress because they were leaving the next day for their honeymoon. And so... Um, you know, that's a little awkward for them, which, again, was awesome. And so I'm, like, laying on the bed, like, hey, what do you guys want to do? You want to watch a movie or something? And Scott's like, Dad, please leave. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm just stretching it out uh, to the point where Scott almost had to physically remove us from the room. And, uh, and so, you know, of course, we had fun with that. But can you imagine <laughs> coming out of that room at the Jewish feast and saying, it's consummated, and everyone's like, yeah, let's party. That's the way it was. Matthew tells us that Joseph was a man that was righteous, and he was full of integrity, and he was a man that would have known the Torah, which was the law of Moses, and he lived to follow God. He was a, he, he was a godly man, and his dilemma was kind of between law and love, because if he was to follow Jewish law to the nth degree, he would have had uh, grounds to have Mary stoned. That's why when the woman was caught in adultery, she was taken out into the street, and they were going to stone her. That was Jewish law. If you were if you were caught in that, and technically she was married to Joseph, even though they hadn't consummated it yet, and by her coming up pregnant, it wouldn't have taken a lot for him to do that. But he loved her as well. He loved the law, and he loved her. And so the, there was a dilemma there. And Joseph's decision to be faithful to the will of God and listen to what God told him and to do right no matter what the cost was, even in the face of criticism and misunderstanding, showed mercy and grace. Even though Mary was innocent, the appearance of it was very um, much a scandal. Imagine uh, to, to bear the responsibility of shame as if he and Mary had sinned. Now, we have the benefit of reading the Scripture after the fact, and we know that neither one of them did sin. But imagine having to walk through life, to, to walk down to the corner bodega in Jerusalem or, or Nazareth or wherever you're at and, and, and have people whispering and talking about, oh, you know, they, she got pregnant out of wedlock, and they're saying that's the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right. Can you imagine all of that? 
the responsibility to bear that shame even though he was innocent. Doesn't that sound kind of familiar? Isn't, isn't it true that Jesus took our shame to the cross, paying for our sins as if he had done them? Very similar. Joseph and Mary, the reality is we, we read the story and we, we, we watch the Christmas shows and we, and we get this picture of this warm, fuzzy environment and there's Hallmark music playing in the background and the, everything's perfect. And the reality was is that they lived under a cloud of public shame as though they were guilty of immorality. People talked. And Joseph accepted the responsibility of caring for a woman who people thought had been sexually immoral before they were actually married, and raising a child thought by many to be illegitimate. I can't imagine the conflict that was raging in Joseph's soul over this. He would live with gossip about an unfaithful wife for the rest of his life. And then God speaks, and everything changes. Today, I want to just show you some things. God spoke to Joseph through dreams, and there were four dreams that are recorded in Scripture that God spoke to Joseph with through these dreams. And, and we don't read anywhere that he was ever afraid or ever doubted what he heard in these dreams. In those days, God would speak to people through dreams in a very clear way. We read it all through the scriptures. So dream number one, we just read it. I would just want to cover it again in verse 20 of chapter 1. It says, while he was still debating with himself what to do, he fell asleep and had a supernatural dream. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in clear light and said, Joseph, descendant of David, don't hesitate to take Mary into your home as your wife because the power of the Holy Spirit has conceived a child in her womb. So the first thing that hit me with this was that Joseph believed God's explanation. Joseph believed God's explanation. And, and there's no evidence that we, that we read about that he ever doubted the virgin birth, that he, he took God at his word. I wonder how different our lives would be if we simply took God at his word. Consider this. The God of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this God that this young man has pursued and served his whole life, is now wanting to partner with you to watch over, protect, and raise his son. And if you're successful in protecting him and watching over him and, and, and guiding him along, if you're successful, that son will eventually make it to a cross where he will give his life for the sins of all. Imagine that responsibility. Imagine that partnership that God had with Joseph. See, I don't think it's any different today. I think that God, I think that God still wants that kind of partnership with us when it comes to our kids. I think God will speak to us about how to raise our kids and how to guide them and protect them. And to, I, I think God still wants to have that partnership with us through the Holy Spirit. Do you? It blows my mind that Joseph's responsibility, if, if you sum it all up in one sentence, is to, 
is to simply deliver the Son of God to the cross. See, I don't think that Joseph and Mary necessarily knew all the details. I think that just like in our lives, when you're walking through something, God doesn't give you everything as you're walking through it because I don't think that, that you and I could handle it. We could handle the details of how everything's going to play out. We have hindsight where we can look at it and go, man, wasn't God amazing how he did that? But when you're walking through it, he gives you very little at the time, right? So I don't know how much Joseph and Mary understood about the details of what was going to happen. But I do know this. They had to be faithful in the details they were given in order for the big picture to happen. Think about it. It's your, it's your job to teach the Son of God, your young boy, um, how to work, how to have good work ethic and be honest with people and tell the truth and to pray, how to pray. How do you pray and connect with this God? How to, how to follow God, how to worship God? Joseph had to teach his son all of those things. You, you might say, but he was divine. Yeah, you know what? I, he was, and I don't know where that line begins and ends. I don't know where Jesus' humanity and, and God's divinity, I don't know where that line necessarily is. None of us do. It's not clear in Scripture. But I do know that the age of accountability for a child is about 12 years old. And I think that Jesus was a normal kid. I think he had poopy diapers. I do. I think that he was a normal toddler that needed to be guided and, and taught. And ch- I really believe all that. And I believe it was all of that training that, that we start to see when Jesus comes on the stage of his public ministry. I don't think we give Joseph enough credit. I think that when we see strong men and women of God doing great exploits for God, you can track it back to a godly father that has taught them and instilled in them the confidence that they need. I believe that. I believe that Joseph, uh, you know, what what do you do? I mean, think about it. If he knew everything like, this is the son of God, do I spank him? (laughs) What do you do? I don't think that was that case. I think it was a, a family. And then Jesus learned a lot of those core values from his earthly father. And so I think that that when, when you read things like John 17, where Jesus is trying to communicate to us and the disciples his relationship between his heavenly Father and himself and, and their relationship with us, I think he got that picture from his father, Joseph. I think Joseph taught him those things. The amount of faith that it would have taken for Joseph to just run with this is mind-blowing to me, to believe in God's explanation. And there's, in a room like this, probably all of us at one point or another have struggled with our faith. And there's a scripture in Hebrews 11 that talks about our faith. And I want to read it out of the Passion Translation. Um, it says, now faith begins, or, sorry, if I could read that would be awesome, wouldn't it? As a speaker, wouldn't it be great? Now faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. Now, this next part is, is kind of mind-blowing to me. It says, this testimony of faith is what previous generations were commended for, and it goes on to, to list all of them. But, but check out this next part. Faith empowers us to see that the universe was created 
and beautifully coordinated by the power of God's words. He spoke, and the invisible realm gave birth to all that is seen. So we know Genesis 1, that God spoke where there was nothing, and God spoke it into existence. Everyone agree with that? Isn't it the same in this case with Joseph and Mary? Here's a womb with nothing in it, and God speaks, and there's new life. It's the same principle. It's not a stretch. It's the same principle as Genesis 1. And so God is asking Joseph to trust him, to trust my explanation, and he did. The second dream that we read about is found in chapter 2 of verse 13, and they have the baby, and it says, after they had gone, Joseph had another dream. An angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, get up now and flee to Egypt. Take Mary and the little child and stay there until I tell you to leave, for Herod intends to search for the child to kill him. We know reading further that Herod had every little male child two years old and under murdered in the streets, ripped from their parents' arms and murdered in front of them to try to eliminate this king of the Jews. And so my second thought and just thinking about this dream is that Joseph believed God's warning. There are times that God will warn you and say, don't do that because it could kill you. Don't do that thing because it could bring death to a relationship. Don't do that. There's t- if we, I think our lives would be so much better if we would just believe when God warns us sometimes. He believed in God's warning. And it says in the next verse, so that very night. Everyone say that very night. He got up and took Jesus and his mother and made their escape to Egypt. Now you say, well, that sounds pretty straightforward. Let me just explain something to you. Joseph was like any father, any husband. He worked with his hands for a living. He was a carpenter. We don't know for sure uh, if, if, he, if he worked with wood or he worked with stone. Some theologians believe that he maybe worked with stone because Jesus used a lot of those analogies uh, later on about stone and and, and building walls. We don't know for sure, but we do know this. He worked for a living and he supported his family. And then God says in the middle of the night, you need to grab your family and leave for Egypt. What do you think happened to his business? What do you think happened to all the business contacts that he had? Where do you think, do you think that might, maybe he was thinking, well, how am I going to survive? How, how are we going to do? He never asked those questions. He just, the moment he wakes up, He gathers them together, and he leaves for Egypt. And I got thinking about that, and I thought, well, remember remember in the story when Jesus um, was visited by the Magi? Remember that? And they brought gifts of gold and silver and myrrh. Do you think that maybe God knew this was going to happen, and that's why he had them bring them the money so that they could live on that while they were in Egypt? I think that's a very strong possibility. If God calls you to something, he will provide everything you need to accomplish it. You never have to doubt that. 
You never have to stress about the finances. If God's called you to it, he's going to provide a way. And that's coming from two church planters that lived it for many years. God provided every little thing we needed over the years. And God will provide for you when you need it over your ministry. The third thing that hits me here is that Joseph believed in God's leading. I love the fact that God is speaking to Joseph through these dreams and saying every little detail. Okay, okay, you need to leave now. And Joseph just, bam, and leaves. He is so tuned in to the leading of the Lord. And and I want to encourage you today that you and I, more than ever, can be keyed in to the leading of the Lord through the Holy Spirit. The more you study His Word, and the more you pray, and the more you become familiar with His voice. You say, well, what's the voice of God sound like? It's like this. It's like, you know, if, if you just, uh, if you and I just meet for the first time and somehow you give me your cell number and I call you. Now, forget about caller ID. Let's just pretend you don't have caller ID because that changes everything. But but I call you and, and I say, hey, how's it going? And, and you're going to say, who is this? But if if you and I have a relationship and I call you. And we know each other really well. You're not going to you're not going to ask that question because you're going to recognize the voice. Right. And the more you begin to press in and study and and pray and read God's word, you're going to start to identify when it's the voice of God in your life. And you're going to move when he asks you to move and you're going to stay put when he asks you to stay put. Sometimes God says, just be still and know that I am God. Joseph knew the voice of the Lord. And so this next dream is in verse 19 of Matthew 2. And it says, after Herod died, the angel of the Lord appeared again to Joseph in a dream while he was still in Egypt, saying, go back to the land of Israel and take the child and his mother with you, for those who sought to kill the child are dead. So he awoke and took Jesus and Mary and returned to the land of Israel. And the next thing that I just want you to write down or keep in mind is that Joseph believed God in the details. They were important. There's a fourth dream. It says, but when he heard that Archelaus, Herod's son, had succeeded him as ruler over all the territories of Judah, he was afraid to go back. Then he had another dream from God, warning him to avoid that region and instructing him instead to go to the province of Galilee. So he settled his family in the village of Nazareth. When just a few weeks ago, when Kim and I were, we stayed two nights in Nazareth, and it was so cool. It's built up. It's a city, and it's it's not really a pretty city, to be honest with you. But when you go outside the skirts of the city, you can still see the the hills and the mountains where Jesus would have probably played as a teenager, and you know, grew. And that's kind of cool. I mean, I could have just sat there on a rock with a large Seven Eleven coffee if I could have found one, and just stayed there all day and watched it. But, um, but it, it was amazing to me just thinking, this is where it all went down. And um, the thing that we uh, realized being there that I wouldn't have normally realized is that when you're in that Galilee region of the Sea of Galilee and Tiberias and Nazareth, you're so far north of um, Jerusalem and where everything was happening. In fact, when we were there, they were sending rockets into the Gaza 
strip area, and we had just stayed there two nights before, but we were so far north at the Sea of Galilee, there was no risk for us. So it's, a, it's quite a distance. And so God even kind of steers them. They're coming into Israel, and he goes, I want you to make a left turn. I want you to, I want you to head up to Galilee. You'll be safe there in Nazareth. Joseph never hesitates, and he's okay with doing what God asks him to do. See, obeying God was normal for him. And, and I love the fact that he was a father to Jesus in every way. Legally, he was, he was Jesus' uh, father. But, G- but Joseph re- uh, protected him and had that responsibility of, of raising him and, and teaching him the things of God. And I believe that as Jesus grew older, and when we start to read about Jesus' um, exploits and things that he said, I believe that his relationship with God the Father was honed and and developed with Joseph. I really do. In fact, you might remember the story when, when uh, they're all in Jerusalem to sacrifice, their yearly sacrifice at the temple, and they, they head out of town, and they're like a day and a half journey out, and they all realize there's a, there's a large band of people in these caravans, and they realize that their son Jesus is missing. And so they have to turn around, and they have to go a day, a day trip back to Jerusalem to try to find their son. And, uh, and I've always read this story like Jesus had a bit of an attitude with them. Like Jesus had that whole teenage brain damage thing going on, and he kind of was snarky with them. I've always read it that way. But my attitude has changed, and I'll tell you why. So this is, this is what happened in Luke 2. It says, after being separated from him for three days, they finally found him in the temple, sitting among the Jewish teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard Jesus speak were astonished at his intelligent understanding of all that was being discussed at his wise and his wise boy and at his wise answers to their questions. His parents were shocked to find him there. And typical mother and father uh, and Mary scolded him, saying, son, your father and I have searched for you everywhere. We've been worried sick over not finding you. Why would you do this to us? You notice Joseph says nothing. Joseph's like most dads, like if he's not missing a limb, he's good. We found him. Get over it. He's good. He's in the temple. He's good. We're good. We can go now. We, we got to make, make it back b- before dark. You know, that's, that's typical guy. Mary pulls out the howitzer and says, your dad and I are really upset with you. And Jesus said to them, why would you need to search for me? Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be here in my father's house, consumed with him? See, I always thought that was disrespectful to them. But I think what Jesus is saying, I think Jesus is astonished that they even panicked, that they even had to ask, because Joseph would have taught him the importance of worshiping in the temple. I believe that Joseph was just saying, you know, I'm surprised you guys are feeling this way. This is what you've taught me to do. And so I think that there's a lot here going on that, that we don't see. As our band comes back, I kind of want to bring this in for landing. We're going to have communion together today. We're going to have an unbelievable time together. I believe that Joseph had such an impact on Jesus, teaching him about the love of his heavenly father, teaching him about honesty and integrity and righteousness, that when Jesus began his public ministry, a lot of those things were ingrained in him already. I believe that 
because of Joseph's knowledge of, the, of God's word, he recognized when God spoke and he recognized the presence of God and he was willing to respond each time. And the way he lived his life was such that he molded and shaped Jesus to be the Savior of the world and to one day give his life on the cross for you and I. I think that Joseph is overlooked more than we, we even imagine. But the calling is still the same for you and I. We have families. We have people that God wants us to mentor, to teach, to model with our lives because we represent the presence of God. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.